Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 19 years of lived experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Vecchione. Welcome to today's episode. Have you heard about Sugar Mama's Cookies? Sugar Mama's Cookies is located in North Las Vegas, Nevada, and run by Thomas and Heather Morris. Thomas and Heather Morris started Sugar Mama's Cookies as a way to utilize Heather's former skills as a pastry chef to teach their teens with special needs about job skills and to raise awareness in the community. Thomas and Heather are the proud parents of nine children, and they take great pride in creating delicious treats for you to enjoy. Included on the menu of Sugar Mama's cookies are scooped cookies such as chocolate chip, ginger snaps, Cody's salted caramel, lemonade, oatmeal raisin, oatmeal spice, peanut snickerdoodle, sugar, triple chocolate, and their cookie of the month. Reach out to Sugar Mama's cookies at S-U-G-A-H-M-O-M-M-A-S-C-O-O-K-I-E-S.com. That's sugarmamascookies.com. Or contact them at 702-790-3418. Sugar Mama's Cookies, what can we bake for you? Today, we'll be speaking with Heather Morris of Sugar Mama's Cookies and Nevada Families for FASD Awareness. Thomas and Heather Morris have nine children, four of whom have special needs and two of whom have FASD. They started Sugar Mama's Cookies to teach job skills to their children with special needs, utilizing Heather's skills as a former pastry chef. After seeing the lack of services and recognition FASD had in Nevada, they began thinking about starting a nonprofit to benefit other families like theirs. It took several years for everything to work out, but today, Nevada Families for FASD Awareness is operating and ready to serve their community. So I have mentioned many times that I love being a podcaster because I get to talk to wonderful people all over the globe. I get to talk to incredible parent advocates, self-advocates, people who are forming state organizations, uh, you name it. Uh, But there are very sweet perks to being a podcaster and being connected. And today I am going to be speaking with a wonderful parent advocate, a wonderful mom, and she is a pastry chef who has used her skills to develop this amazing business. And uh, she was kind enough to ship cookies. So <laughs> I'm going to be talking about her a lot <laughs> because, you know, free cookies. We, we Vecchions, we're foodies and we love, <laughs> we love just tasty treats. So I really want to highlight her and her husband, their advocacy work and FASD. With that long rambling intro, I am thrilled to introduce you to Heather Morris. Heather, welcome to FASD Hope. Hi, Natalie. Thank you. It's good to be here. And I heard about Heather and her husband from our friend Jen Wisdahl, our mutual friend Jen Wisdahl, 
who actually met Heather in Nevada when the FASD project was uh, nominated and actually won an award for an independent film festival. And Jen told me how she connected with Heather. So I wanted Heather to share that story real quick before we start talking about her family's journey and the amazing, um, the amazing adventure that they have been on creating not only Sugar Mama's Cookies, but Nevada Families for FASD Awareness. So Heather, how did you end up at that film festival? Um, so Jen actually found me. We had been running a Facebook group um, just because there was nothing here in the state of Nevada for families affected by FASD. So she found us through our Facebook group and emailed us about the FASD Respect Act. And then as a side note, mentioned that they were going to be in the Las Vegas area with the FASD project. And um, through talking with her, um, lots of encouragement to go forward in um, creating a nonprofit here in Nevada. She helped connect me to some people to give us advice. And um, we just happened to have no children that day and bought tickets and ran over there. And we were so excited that Jen was there too with the rest of the crew. So that's how we ended up meeting Jen in person. <laughs> so it was like a combination networking slash date night slash work. <laughs> it it was, one. it was, it was great. The way everything just worked out that's that so we cool. didn't have kids. So <laughs> that's, that's so cool. So let's go backward now and um, let's talk about your family's journey and how you uh, came about to learn about FASD. Of course. So um, I adopted my cousin's two children um, when they were five and three. I already had five children. So my mind was like, eh, what's two more? I'm a professional at this. this no worries. Um, very quickly, we learned that they were different than our other five children. And I do have one of my biological children does have autism. Um, but this was nothing like what I was prepared for. <laughs> um, we tried um, traditional, you know, therapies, play therapy, occupational therapy, I was in therapy, trying to figure this out. Um, we were able to get the diagnosis of attachment disorder. Uh, but it still wasn't clicking. It still wasn't working. I was doing all the right things, you know, according to the therapist to, to gain attachment. Um, and in the meantime, my son, uh, the younger of the two, he ended up in residential placement when he was eight, still no diagnosis. And then one day, um, our pediatrician in San Diego said, you know, we have this doctor at Rady's Children's Hospital his name's Dr. Ken Jones, and he, he wrote about fetal alcohol syndrome. And I'm just wondering if that might be what the problem is. And so she used some connections and we got my son in there um, to be evaluated. And um, it was an interesting process. I, I've never seen his, you know, his fingers were being measured, his eyes were being measured. Um, and I had no clue what fetal alcohol syndrome was still. And so he ended up being diagnosed with partial fetal alcohol syndrome. And then Dr. Jones found out that I had his biological sister and said, well, you need to bring her in too. So I brought her in and um, she was diagnosed with ARND, alcohol-related neurological disorder. And they were nine and 11. 
So it took us all that time to get the diagnosis and then we had it and it was like, now what? <laughs> um, so, and in the process of all of that, I was uh, dating my now husband. And so we kind of learned about FASD together. I uh, traveled to um, Oregon to attend training through facets. And then as soon as we were married, I sent him to do the same training. Wow. Um, so that, that's how we learned about FASD is, uh, through our adopted children and meeting other parents who are going through the same thing. Thank you, Heather, for sharing your, your journey and your story. First of all, your children being diagnosed by Dr. Ken Jones. That is amazing because he is such a pioneer and such <laughs> an amazing, an amazing force in the FASD community. So, wow. Um, yeah. So not only were your kids diagnosed by Dr. Ken Jones, who is an amazing professional clinician, just an amazing force in the FASD community, but you and your husband both participated in the three-day facets training, which um, I I had the privilege and the honor of doing that um, almost three years ago. Tell me, what did you learn in the facets training that really started to hit home in parenting your children differently and seeing them through a different lens in the facets training they um showed an activity and they had us do the activity too where we drew our brains and what they looked like when we were trying to think um when we were stressed and so i took that home and i had my children do the activity with me we put on some classical music i gave them paint i said you can use paintbrushes you can use your fingers we just had fun on canvas. And then I looked at my, my two FASD children's paintings. And first of all, my son couldn't last more than five minutes at the table. I'm done. It's like, we're supposed to be taking our time and listening to music. No, I'm done. And, um, and then my daughter, lots of dark colors. And, um, it was interesting to compare them with my daughter with autism because hers was very organized things were lined up <laughs> things were symmetrical and then you look at theirs and, and there's chaos and there's darkness and um and then my neurotypical children you know they're trying to do shapes and things like that okay so having seen the differences just in their paintings alone it it reminded me that their brains were different and I could no longer parent them the same way I had parented all my other children. And that was, that was a big pill to swallow because I prided myself on being a great mom and I had all the skills down pat. And then suddenly I have these children who I have to parent in a completely different way. And, um, and during that time I was, you know, living with my mom and she's, you know, was in that mindset that, this is how we parent children. So we had, we had to overcome that battle. Right. And, um, and I think in a lot of ways, the diagnosis actually came too late for my daughter, but I was able to have sympathy towards her, even though I wasn't able to, you know, quote unquote, fix her. I'm able to still look at her and recognize the fact that it's her brain that's acting out. It's not her, it's her brain. Um, and now with my son, my, one of my favorite expressions 
is the don't hate accommodate. It's, yeah. it's one of my favorites. And, and it's something I say to myself often when he's being difficult or once again, he's forgotten basic steps or anything like that. It's like, okay, take a step back, take some breaths. It's not his fault. We just need to figure out how to accommodate this need and move on. Yes. Yes. And we, we say, um, we joke and we say, stop, drop and accommodate. <laughs> that's, that's what we say. <laughs> because, oh, that's a good one. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We like, I, I can so relate to what you're saying because we have in, in both sides of my husband's and my family, we have very traditional parenting. This is how parenting <laughs> should look. And it's old school. And, you know, back in our country, this is how you parented. And, it's, it's very difficult to, it, it, first of all, it's a, it's a difficult transition to go from traditional parenting to brain-based parenting. Be honest with you. Once you do it, you're like, okay, I should have done this years ago. This is, I under, Absolutely. I totally understand it, but <laughs> making that transition is difficult. And then, especially if you have family members that are like, no, no, you don't do that. But it's also um, interesting. I, I can so relate to what you're saying, because, um, it really is, I see facets and I tell people that facets for us is a tool. It's, it's a tool to help parent our children differently. And honestly, when we received the diagnosis, that was one of the first recommendations that, that we heard from several parents that in the support group I was in at the time was, the facets training, you know, you have to do the facets training and everything. So I'm really thankful you're sharing that with our, with our listeners, because, um, it, it really does make you change your mindset from, okay, this is a willful behavior. They're doing this on purpose to, yes. okay, they, they can't process this or they can't make that connection today. You know, it's absolutely, it, it's really, and you have to keep reminding yourself because once in a while you catch yourself slipping back into those old traditional ways, <laughs> especially, <laughs> especially if, yeah, especially yeah. if you're around a lot of people that are, you're like, oh yeah. And, and then, oh, no, can't do that. Right. And especially when you have um, diverse brains in the household, yes. Yes. you know, so currently in my household, I have um, four of our children. So I have... Um, Dakota with autism. I have Elijah who's neurotypical and I have Jeffrey with FASD. And then I have a toddler who's just, you know, their brain goes everywhere. (laughs) So, um, you, you, you're trying to balance between all of those and remember who you're parenting and trying to make everything fair and, and having to remind certain children, well, fair doesn't always mean the same. So, and thankfully we've come a long way and, and for the most part, my children are older and they've, the neurotypical ones have understood or come to understand that I have to parent the FASD affected children differently. Yes, and, yes. and so a lot of my parenting has changed and I try and parent the neurotypical children now the same way I do the FASD affected children. Um, just it just works for everybody. It does. <laughs> yeah. Reward-based systems are, are just so much nicer to deal with. And, um, you know, forgiving, forgiving, I think is a really big, big part of parenting these kids with FASD 
and, and being a sibling of a, of a child with FASD. It's, it's about, you know, recognizing that it's not intentional and, and letting it go. <laughs> yes. I'm so glad you're saying that. Oh my goodness. I'm, I'm so thankful that you're saying that because it really is, it's especially having a child for us, we, we have a much smaller family. We just, we, we have two children and having a 19 year old that has an FASD and a six-year-old who has, she has, uh, she has a brain-based diagnosis, but it, it, it's not an FASD and parenting them differently, but for the most part, still utilizing the facets neurobehavioral model. I find that, um, yeah, you, the child that doesn't have a FASD, um, I, I found, especially for our, our daughter, she is really empathetic with our son. You know, she really is just, she, she wants to help him so badly. You know, she just wants to, um, she loves him and it's really interesting the, the dynamics, um, of, of your kids that have an FASD and your kids that don't have an FASD. Yeah. We, we haven't even started talking about, <laughs> but we're still talking about family, but I'm, um, you know what, this is really important because we do have quite a few listeners that have kids, you know, who are typically developing and then kids who have an FASD. What is your best advice for parents? Like you said, trying to manage this balance of FASD neurodiversity, typically developing, it's a lot to manage. What, what words do you have for those parents who are trying to manage it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you, you asked that question because somebody just recently asked that question in one of the Facebook support groups. And my advice to them was um, to find a way to make it fair in the children's eyes. Um, because the children in the home with the special needs, they take so much more of my time. So I try to find a way to um, compensate the other children. You know, um, my sister stole my, my Easter candy. Okay, obviously punishment, consequences, it's not gonna work. But the child who was stolen from needs to feel that things are fair. So, once, you know, the sibling who stole the candy is down for their, their quiet time. When we have quiet time, that's a big rule in our house. <laughs> I don't care how old you are. We are having quiet time. In fact, I think Jeffrey just got up from his. Um, but once that child was down for quiet time or down for the night, the child who was hurt would be taken to the store and be allowed to replace with, you know, within reason, of course, because, you know, they're kids. But, you know, what was taken from you? Let's replace that and then some. So that, that's my big advice to, if you're parenting these children with all these different needs, try and, and, and find a way to make them feel like they're heard and they're, they're loved just as much and their needs are just as important by making things fair in their eyes. So Heather, thank you. That is amazing advice. I really appreciate you sharing that. What motivated you? So obviously you're this mom advocate. You advocate for your children. You were trained in facets. Your husband was trained. When did you go from being a mom of children with FASD and special needs to becoming this 
FASD slash special needs advocate for your community and then eventually for the state of Nevada? Well, we moved to Nevada um, in 2016. And it was a process just getting my children enrolled in school. Um, and, you know, I, I'd been an advocate for my children for years, having Dakota with autism. Um, I had learned my way around some IEP strategies and, and things like that. But we came to this state and I was, I was stunned. Um, first of all, trying to get my daughter into school and making sure her 504 was read before she started and having them argue with me about having her 504 read before she started school. And um, my son wasn't even able to start school. Jeffrey didn't start school until October of that year. Here school starts in um, August. And it took that long to get a school, first of all, that would accept him, a public school, <laughs> and um, to make sure his IEP could be accommodated. Jeffrey has a unique accommodation on his IEP where he has shortened school days. It's either you give him a shortened day or you give him a nap. Which one do you want? Shortened school days. Well, they had to figure out his schedule based on his shortened school day. And then we had to figure out transportation. And at the time, Jeffrey was still having problems with rages. So we had to inform them he needs a harness when he's on the bus. He needs an assistant when he's on the bus. So having to basically start from scratch when we came to the state and um, thankfully we finally had an IEP meeting at Jeffrey's school and I met the school nurse and I, I mentioned FASD and she said, you know, we have this flyer here for the, the Ackerman Center and they're starting an FASD support group for parents. And I snatched that right up and we went to the support group and there were only like two or three parents there. And I was like, this can't be right. <laughs> There's gotta be more of us in this state. And um, we met Dr. Beasley there in the Ackerman Center. I'm, as far as I'm aware, the Ackerman Center is the only place in the area that will do an FASD diagnosis. And um, with, in talking with her, we learned more and more about the lack of services that are in this state in the whole state and the fact that there are no nonprofits for FASD in the state, no organizations for FASD in the state. And um, I just felt this calling, this pull to use the knowledge that I have. If, you know, if I have to go through all these trials as an FASD mom, they might as well be for something. And so that's, that's where it all started. <laughs> just felt that that inner calling like I this is something we need to do wow absolutely and really in the past year Nevada Families for FASD Awareness has really grown can you can you talk <laughs> about that because it, it, just following you and, and following you all on social media it really has even in this past six months or so y'all I would really say yeah in just the last couple months <laughs> so let, let's talk about that growth well, I had mentioned that I, you know, had met with Jen, um, Jen, and I had talked, and um, this is when they were asking people to reach out to the representatives. Um, and I had mentioned how we had had this goal of having a nonprofit, but it just never worked out. It never seemed to be the right time. We had been quoted this huge price by a lawyer to start the nonprofit, and COVID shut everything down. 
because um, our goal was in 2020, we'll use that tax return and we'll, we'll start this nonprofit. And then my husband got sent home from his job in March and um, remained unemployed for the next year and a half. But we, we talked to, with Jen and she connected us with a couple other people at NoFast to kind of talk us through the process of, you know, this is the paperwork that needs to be done. It's only this much money. It's, it's not as much. And with my husband being home, it actually opened up the opportunity because normally he's on the road. He's, he's a, um, a rigger. I don't know if you know what that is, but if you go to a concert and you see those speakers and the video wall hanging up, that's his job is to make sure everything's safe and hanging from the ceiling. So with him being home, it was just kind of like, we've got the time and we've been blessed that our needs are all taken care of throughout all this. So let's try. And um, all the paperwork has officially been submitted as of, I wanna say two weeks ago. <laughs> so it really is recent. But, um, you know, we've had the online thing and we try to let people know if anything was going on in the area for FASD, um, not specifically, obviously, for FASD because there wasn't anything. And then when everything shut down, also, um, the Ackerman Center turned the support group to me over to me. And um, Holly Summers, she's someone that works closely with us. She's a... Um, I say she's working on her doctorate in psychology. She was with the Ackerman Center and she still she works with us closely still. So the Ackerman Center is like contact these guys for support group meetings. And so we just kind of got thrown in there. And and then, you know, we talked to Jen and we just had our first annual FASD Family Awareness Day, um, which we count as a success. It was small, but it it was a start. And we're looking forward to doing more activities going forward and creating a community um, for families affected by FASD. Fantastic. And like you said, even if it's small, it's a start and a start is a start no matter how this kind of sounds like a Dr. Seuss thing, but a start <laughs> is a start, no matter how big or how small. It is so, like a Dr. Seuss thing. <laughs> it, it really, I think in advocacy, we need to remember that no matter how big or how small, when you start something, that's the important thing. So that's Absolutely. wonderful. So what do you have planned for, uh, you know, the upcoming months? Um, again, we're in this COVID limbo still, yes. but <laughs> what, um, what plans program services do you hope to offer in the future? Um, well, as far as um, activities and things like that, the next thing that's coming up is I'm, I'm planning on hosting a, a book club, but a unique book club where we read books like um, Trying Differently Not Harder, you know, Shifting the Paradigm, um, Jeff Noble's books. Um, my brain's blank, but I have a bookshelf by <laughs> of them. Um, where we read those, you know, we read a chapter a week and we, we get together and we talk about it and how does this apply or does it not apply? Is this good advice? Is it bad advice? Um, just to kind of help parents who aren't able to go to the facets training, possibly learn some other techniques. So that's the next thing we have coming up and, and trying to get back into, um, for a little while we were doing um, every other month we were having play dates at the park. So 
you know, our kids could get together and nobody was you know, looking at them and judging them because they had a complete meltdown <laughs> in the middle of the park. No judgment here. So we're hoping to get back into those. Um, and then we are in discussions to do a fundraising um, car show in March. So hoping to get into the, the car show community is big here in Las Vegas. So hoping to get into that. But as far as services go, um, the big one, of course, is going to be spreading awareness. And, um, and through spreading awareness, hopefully gaining more services here in the state for families. And then um, my big one that I wanna do, I'm, I'm calling it compassionate service. Um, it, in my church, we have a position that's called the compassionate service leader. And their job is when a family needs food or a family needs repairs on their home or anything that it's their job to coordinate that. And I was a single mom for about five years. Um, single mom with seven, two of them with FASD. And there'd be times when a window would get broken and it would have to stay broken because I didn't have the means. I didn't have, you know, the ability. And, and honestly, a lot of times as a parent, you're just like, why should I fix it? It's just going to get broken again. Um, or there'd be times when I'd have to rush off to the hospital with one of them. And then it's like, what are my children going to do here at home? What are they going to eat for dinner? Or I come home after being at the hospital and I'm too tired to cook dinner. I want to be the place where those parents can, can call and say, I need help. You know what? We're going to send you some gift cards for food. We're going to send a repairman out there to fix the hole in the wall. You need some sensory equipment. Let's see if we can get you some sensory equipment. That's the big thing I want. I want them to feel like they're part of a community that understands and is there for them. So <laughs> I love that. And before we end our interview, we are going to share how people can donate or be in <laughs> touch or support you because that is such a need. I, I love to hear when parents say, I want to fill the need where there's nothing, where, the, where we know as parents of, you know, our son is now a young adult, but throughout much of his life, like you said, my, you know, when, when somebody has, you know, the window's broken or something's broken and you don't have anybody to help you, or, you know, I, I use this example, like your kid's in the hospital for the umpteenth time and, <laughs> you know, nobody sends you a casserole when your kid's in the hospital, you know, or nobody not for mental health exactly. reasons. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And, and that's actually one of the, um, I believe it was either like a poem or something about that, about when you have a kid that has a mental health, you know, diagnosis, yeah. nobody sends you a casserole. Nobody says, Hey, how can I help you? You're basically on that road alone. So I love hearing what you said about I want to be there where, where nobody is there. So before we end this episode, I'm going to share your information because this is something that needs to be funded and needs to get off the ground. I oh, love, I love hearing that Heather. So before we talk about that and um, before we, we start wrapping up, I want to talk about sugar mama's cookies. <laughs> I'm so excited. I have 
box just waiting for us to tear into. And I'm, I'm going to make an Instagram reel and just, I'm so excited. How did sugar mom, obviously you're a pastry chef. That's your trade. Oh, yes. I was a pastry chef. Yes. So let's and let's, well, you still are, you're just doing it in, a, in, so. in yeah. a much, in a much different, um, in a different capacity and actually for a different purpose. Let's talk about how sugar mama cookies came about. Okay. Well, um, my husband and I have been married for five years. Um, he was often pushing me to go back into um, being a pastry chef. My specialty and uh, what I taught for 15 years was cake decorating and candy making. But it's kind of hard to do fancy cakes at home when you have children that don't understand they cannot eat what they see. And I had to put that aside because um, if you're not a professional cake decorator, you might not understand that sometimes these decorations have to be done days in advance and allowed to dry. So if you walk in the day you need to put that on the cake and your child has eaten your bouquet of flowers, it's not something you can quickly replace. <laughs> there, was, there was a cake um, I was doing, I'll show this really quick. There was a cake I was doing for my, um, for my grandfather's 80th birthday. My grandfather happened to be a professional magician. And so I had this magic wand I had made to go on the cake. And thankfully I had made it a week in advance because it needed to dry. And Jeffrey would walk by me and his mouth would be black. Jeffrey, did you eat the magic wand? No, magic wand would be gone. So I'd make another one. Two days later, mouth is black. Jeffrey, did you eat the magic wand? So I actually had to go in the pantry and clear off the top shelf to, to hide things from him. So that's, it just got to the point where it's just, I'm going to have to put this to the side. I have to focus on these children and their needs, and they do not need to be eating this much sugar. So, <laughs> um, so I set it to the side, but you know, every now and then somebody contact me and, 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 you know, cause they knew what I did and for family and stuff like that. So when I was dating my husband, I made a cake for his son's um, bar mitzvah. And he's like, you should be doing this. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 no. Been there, done that. So we finally compromised with cookies because I said, I can, I can make cookies all the time. I've got recipes that I've created and cookies are easy, but here's the deal. We have four special needs children out of our nine children that need to learn skills. They need to learn how to interact with other people. They need to learn how to be part of the community. So we will do cookies, but this needs to be a business for the children. And so that's where Sugar Mamas came about. Um, we're, we've kind of joked that Dakota is um, assistant manager of Sugar Mamas Cookies. And um, she takes that role very seriously. And we mostly just, um, we go out and do local fairs and car shows and things like that so that the community gets a chance to meet my children with their special needs and to recognize that they can be a, a vital part of the community. They can contribute to the community. So, and um, it's actually starting to spread. Jeffrey just had his um, annual IEP review and they interviewed him to ask him what he wanted to do. He's like, well, I work for the family business. And I said, well, what happens, you know, what else would you want to do after the family business? No, it's a family business. It's going to work. <laughs> 
And um, so they asked him, well, how can they support him in that? And he said, well, I want to learn how to measure ingredients, which is nothing he had told me. He, he's in charge of like boxing and putting on labels. We just started shrink wrapping this week. <laughs> we'll see where that goes. But he told them he wanted to learn how to measure the ingredients. So their classroom is now going to be incorporating um, baking in the curriculum so Jeffrey can learn how to measure ingredients. That is fantastic. That is awesome. I love that. (laughs) And Cindy LaJoy and I, um, we wrote a book about, it was homeschooling, Blazing New Homeschool Trails. But we talk about how our kids that interact with the world differently, that have different diagnoses, they each have a gift inside of them. And when they are confident in that gift and when they feel like, hey, you know what, I can do this and and I can do this really well, then it's such a blessing to see, you know, your, your child, your teen, your young adult, take pride in what they're doing and to, and to feel like I, you know what, I, I did this, you know, and I love hearing that. And I love that they incorporated that into the IEP. You don't hear that. You don't hear that. So that is awesome. No, I I kind of joke that I've kind of like beaten them down (laughs) a bit. They, they don't bother arguing with me anymore. (laughs) I love it. What else do you want in this IEP? Mrs. Morris? (laughs) I love it. Oh my goodness. That's awesome. That is awesome. So yes. So I will be advertising sugar mama cookies because (laughs) Heather, they do ship and knowing the story behind sugar mama's cookies, just like buckaroo slices and scoops, which is Cindy, uh, Cindy LaJoy's uh, family's business, which is pizza and ice cream. That's in Montrose, Um. Colorado. (laughs) <laughs> so if you're driving from West coast to East coast, stop by Montrose to get your, your pizza and ice cream. And then absolutely <laughs> visit, visit Heather and stop by and place a big order for sugar mama's <laughs> cookies, because I just love hearing that. So that is so cool that your kids have taken so much ownership in the family business. There are battles amongst the nine children um, <laughs> over who gets what recipes when we pass away. Oh my goodness. Oh, oh yeah. They're each claiming some recipes. So oh my goodness. We will oh see what happens. Goodness. That oh wow. Now, do you all like are you anticipating a busy holiday season coming up? We've been busy um on and off. During COVID, things got really slow because right. um a lot of our, our business, like I said, came from events and um, fundraising with local nonprofits. So everything closed. Um, And so we're just starting to see a resurgence and we hope to be busy over Christmas. That's that's our hope. Um, But you know what? It it wasn't about necessarily creating an income. It was just creating something for our family and for those, those children to take pride in. Yes, yes. Creating a place for them to feel like we're doing this, we're doing this together and we're making a difference. We're contributing to the family. (laughs) I love that. So I have read all of the information for sugar mama's cookies, and (laughs) we will be putting links in our show notes for today's episode for not only for Nevada families, um, for FASD, but for sugar mama's cookies as well. (laughs) Thank you. So, and I cannot wait. I will let everybody know. I, I, I've already got the rest of our family, like 
claiming which box they're going to take. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you guys get to share and try the different flavors. We I will. We will. Okay, I, I'm really looking forward to it. So before we wrap up the episode, how can folks get in touch with you, especially to, to donate or to support or contribute to Nevada families for FASD? Okay, so we do have a website, nevadafasd.org. We are not set up to take up donations yet because we are waiting for our IRS paperwork. Once it's in place, I will put a link on the website. If people are interested in donating, you can also um, email us through the website or our email address is, it's, it's a weird one, nffasda at gmail.com. Um, so basically our initials <laughs> at gmail.com. Um, and we would love any and all support. We love to just hear from people saying, um, you know, good job. We're doing the same thing in our state. We've had a couple of those reach out to us. So those are always great to have. One of my hopes on FASD Hope is to like interview a, an FASD organization with every state. <laughs> I'm like keeping, I have this little map and I'm keeping like, okay, there, 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 there. So yeah, That's awesome. I mean, it would be. And I know, especially with the FASD Respect Act, which the HR 4151 SB2238, that would be such an amazing thing to have each state have an FASD center, a hub that we would, oh, that would be wonderful. So you have so many experiences, Heather, you've been through so much. You have such an amazing journey to share. And I know that listeners hearing your journey will appreciate, especially just the words of encouragement and your, um, you and your husband starting Nevada families for FASD. What words of hope? I like to end our episodes on, on hope takeaways. What words of hope do you have for families and, and, parents and caregivers out there who are either trying to get a diagnosis or just trying to wrap their heads around everything, or just even not sure what steps to take next. Um, I would say definitely celebrate the little things, allow yourself to celebrate the little things. Even if um, that little thing is you got up that day and faced the day, um, and don't, don't beat yourself up for when things go wrong. Just like, you know, they can't help it. You can't help it. You can't help what their brain is doing. You can't change their brain. So give yourself some slack, <laughs> celebrate the little things, you know, even if it's, you have to make something up to celebrate. <laughs> Wonderful words of advice. Heather Morris of Sugar Mama's Cookies and of Nevada Families for FASD Awareness. Thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. If you like our show and want more information, check out FASDHope.com or please leave us a five-star rating and review and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you join us again next week and remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.